This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. My name is Dustin Smith, and as always, I'll be your host. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode. This week we have an exciting episode, episode 241, entitled The Scepter and the Star. The Scepter and the Star is a way to describe the content of a particular prophecy that was understood messianically by early Jews and perhaps by early Christians. This prophecy comes from Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. Now we're in the midst of a series in which we are looking at these messianic prophecies and predictions that are found within the Hebrew Bible in order that we can see what we might conclude about the predicted person, the nature of this messianic person's humanity, his relationship to Israel's God, and of course the functions of his messianic office. So in this week's episode, I want to explore Balaam's oracle in Numbers 24, verse 17. But here are some questions I would like to explore while looking at the evidence that we have. First, what did Balaam prophesy and what can we initially conclude about this predicted figure? Second, how did early Jewish interpreters understand this prophesied figure? And lastly, Does the New Testament understand this prophecy to refer to Jesus Christ? Let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Our first point today is looking at the prophecy concerning the scepter and the star. So within this long narrative section of Numbers chapter 24, we have an interesting prophecy from Balaam. And it lasts a few verses, but the verse that is relevant to our study is Numbers 24, verse 17. So here, Balaam speaks, and he says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob. A scepter shall rise from Israel, and shall crush through the forehead of Moab, and tear down all the sons of Sheth. That's Numbers 24, verse 17. So what we seem to have here is a reference to a prophesied royal figure. The star is going to come forth, and he is going to have a scepter. A scepter, of course, is the ruling staff of a king, of a regent. And we can determine quite precisely where one might look to find this royal shining figure. It's quite clear with the parallelism in this verse that this ruler is going to come forth from Jacob and the scepter is going to arise from Israel. So it's going to be a child of Israel. It's going to be a human being, naturally, a man, a member of the human race. This is not a Gentile popping up. because It's going to be from the children of Israel. It's not going to be a heavenly being appearing because a heavenly being is not a descendant of Jacob and a descendant of Israel. And even Israel's God cannot qualify for this particular description because the God of Israel is not 
a descendant of Jacob. The God of Israel is the creator God, the divine being. And so we can narrow down the possibilities by looking at those particular points. And we can also see that this particular figure is going to be a powerful warrior figure and a king that is going to rule with a mighty fist. The king is going to crush through the forehead of Moab and tear down all the sons of Sheth, which are the enemies of Israel within the narrative of the book of Numbers. And so we have this prophecy, even though the person uttering the prophecy has some questionable character, that doesn't change the fact that the prophecy is legitimate and the prophecy is real. There aren't shades of inspiration when it comes to the persons who offer the prophecies. That's not how the Bible understands prophetic utterances. But it's quite clear that the early Jewish interpretations of this particular passage understood it very messianically. In fact, they had quite a few interesting things to say about this particular passage. So before we actually look and to see if Jesus is the person predicted of this particular passage, if Jesus is this messianic person, we need to look and see how the early Jews understood this, and that way we can situate potential early Christian interpretations of this passage within their Jewish context. Let's move to our second point, point number two, the early Jewish interpretations of the scepter and the star. So the earliest datable interpretation of this passage is by looking at the Septuagint translation of the Hebrew. Of course, Numbers 24 verse 17 was originally written in Hebrew, and within the Septuagint, that was translated into Greek. And one of the interesting things that we can do is that by looking at how the translator read the Hebrew and interpreted it into Greek, we can get a sense of the very earliest Jewish interpretation of this particular passage, in any passage within the Hebrew Bible. It's not indicative of what every single Jewish interpreter thought, but it's at least indicative of one particular noteworthy and educated Jew who is able to understand Hebrew and Greek, what that particular person thought. So what's interesting here is that the Septuagint saw the phrase, a scepter shall rise from Israel. And he interpreted that scepter as a human being who shall spring forth from Israel. That's very interesting. It's clear that it is a ruler figure, but in order to clarify what seems to be pretty obvious, namely that a descendant of Jacob, who is a human being, would be naturally a member of the human race, and of course the descendant of Israel, Israel of course being a nation of human beings, and that descendant would of course be a human being, the Septuagint translator actually used the noun anthropos, the word for human being, the word for man, humanity, and use that to translate the word scepter. So the Septuagint says that a human being shall spring forth from Israel. That's very fascinating. So we have clarification on something that was pretty obvious and non-controversial, which is that a descendant of Jacob would naturally be human, just like Jacob was. Now in the second 
century BC pseudepigraphal document called the Testament of Judah. This is among the Old Testament pseudepigraphal collection, and this particular collection is called the Testament of the Twelve Patriarchs, and it's sort of this apocryphal understanding of an elaboration of the testimonies of these 12 descendants of Jacob, and of course it's drawing on the passage from Genesis 49, where Jacob gives his last will and testimony to his 12 sons. Now, Judah, because Judah is given a prophecy, as we saw in our previous episode in Genesis 49, verses 8 through 10, the descendant of Judah being a ruling figure with a scepter and a king's rod is naturally combined with this passage from Numbers 24, verse 17, because the passage from Numbers 24, 17 deals with a ruler, a ruler with a scepter. So in the Testament of Judah, we can actually see that the, quote, star from Jacob, as he calls it, is described as a man, a human being, from Judah's own posterity. That's very fascinating. It's very clear that it is a human being. A human being is very explicitly used to describe here to emphasize the star that is coming forth from Jacob. Yes, this human being is going to be a star. It's going to be an illuminating, bright, shining figure, but that doesn't take away from the fact that he is a member of the human race. He's a bona fide human being, and he is a descendant of Judah. He's from Judah's own posterity. Now, he is also called a shoot, and a shoot is an Old Testament messianic reference used to describe the offshoot of someone's family tree. And so we have a messianic reference of the word shoot that is also used to describe this human being that descends from Judah. But what's interesting is this shoot is also the shoot of God Most High, indicating it is an offspring of God. This ruling figure who is a descendant of Judah, who is a human being, is a descendant from God. He is the son of God. And it's quite clear that he is distinguished from God Most High. The shoot is not confused with God Most High. Clearly, the shoot has not been collapsed into the identity of God Most High. He is just the descendant of God. He is the Son of God. Son of God, of course, is a messianic reference as well. And the Testament of Judah also indicates that this human being that is from Judah's own posterity will illumine the scepter of my kingdom. So it's reinforced that this human being is going to be a ruler. He's going to have a scepter, a ruler's staff. And, of course, he's going to represent the kingdom of Judah. And because he is the star from Jacob, he is going to illumine that particular scepter. So there's some fascinating messianic references there. At least 200 years before Jesus was even born. The Testament of Judah is 2nd century BCE. Now, if we move forward a bit, even after the ministry of Jesus into the 2nd century AD, we have a Jewish messianic figure named Simon bar Kosiba, And he was directly involved in a Jewish rebellion from 
the year 132 to 135, where eventually that Jewish rebellion was squashed and the Jews were exiled from Palestine at that particular time. But Simon bar Kosiba was understood as the Messiah. Famously, Rabbi Akiba recognized Simon bar Kosiba as the Messiah, and Simon bar Kosiba was given a new name. He was given a new title, and that title is Simon bar Kokhba. And Simon bar Kokhba means Simon, son of the star. And the reference of son of the star is a direct reference to the passage from Numbers 24:17, the star that's going to come forth from Jacob. And so we can see that even in the second century AD, this messianic understanding of Numbers 24:17 is alive and well, and influential rabbis are using it to describe a very specific messianic figure who was a warrior figure, he was a military figure, he was one that was fighting, and of course, from their perspective, the sons of Moab and the sons of Sheth were to be interpreted as the Romans. So the Messianic reference was alive and well all the way in the second century AD. Now when we look at the Targumic references, it's quite clear that they also understood the passage from Numbers 24:17 messianically. So in Targum Onkelos, perhaps first century AD, it understands the passage from Numbers 24:17 as saying that a king shall arise out of Jacob and the Messiah will be anointed from Israel. So there the star is understood as a king and the scepter is understood as the Messiah who is going to be anointed. And of course, this king is going to come out of Jacob, and the Messiah is going to come out of Israel. So, unambiguously messianic interpretation there, and the royal kingly understanding is still present. And that Targumic interpretation is quite widespread. We can see it in Targum Onkelos, it's in Targum Pseudo-Jonathan, it's in Targum Neophyti, and it's also in the Fragmentary Targum. So, four different Targumic references indicating a royal messianic interpretation of Numbers 24:17, and that is quite clear. So we can see from the early Jewish interpretations of this particular passage that it was quite widespread in its effect of looking forward to a messianic figure that is going to be a human being, and of course this messianic figure is going to be a king. He's going to be a ruler with a king's scepter. Let's move to our third and final point, which is possible evidence in the New Testament concerning the scepter and the star. Now, just to be clear, we actually don't have any direct quotes and references of Numbers 24:17 in the New Testament. You can look for references to the star. And of course, you can look for the references to scepter, and you don't have any clear references. There aren't any clear quotations either from the Hebrew of Numbers 24:17 or its Greek translation, but we may have some allusions and echoes. Maybe, perhaps, you can be the judge. And they only appear in the book of Revelation. So I'll give you the evidence and you can decide for yourself. So 
two passages from the book of Revelation, the first one towards the beginning and the last one towards the end. In Revelation chapter 2, verses 26 through 28, we have the promises made to those who conquer and overcome within this particular church. And the promises in Revelation 2.26, He who overcomes and who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he shall shepherd them with the rod of iron, as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I also have received authority from my father, and I will give him the morning star. That's Revelation 2, verses 26 through 28. So here Jesus is actually sharing his authority and privileges and prerogatives with conquering Christians, with conquering believers, those who overcome, those who conquer. And Jesus says that he's going to share the authority over the nations. And this conquering person is going to shepherd them with the rod of iron. So they're going to function as a shepherding, nurturing, caring figure. If there needs to be judgment taken, then there's going to be the shattering of the potter's pots. Jesus indicates, of course, that he has received this authority from his father, so Jesus can naturally share it with conquering believers. But Jesus also says in this passage in verse 28 that he will give to the conquering Christian the morning star, literally the star of the morning. And we look at the aspect of a star that is connected with authority over the nations to function as a shepherd, and a shepherd is both a nurturing, guiding figure of sheep, but it also is a reference to a ruler like David, who is a shepherd king. Perhaps this is a reference to a messianic understanding that is not only applied to Jesus, but Jesus interestingly, seems to be sharing that authority with his own believers. Jesus will give to him, the one who overcomes, the star of the morning, as Jesus will share with him the authority over the nations, in which Jesus' own role of being the shepherd is actually being shared with his followers. So perhaps the reference there to the star is drawing on Numbers 24, verse 17. We can see something similar at the end of Revelation and Revelation 22, 16, where Jesus says that I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the shoot and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Revelation 22, verse 16. So here, quite clearly, Jesus is describing himself as the bright morning star, the star that is bright and of the morning. Is that a reference to Numbers 24:17? I think perhaps. Perhaps it is. It's also linked with the fact that Jesus is the shoot and the descendant of David. Of course, that shoot language is drawing from the Testament of Judah. We already saw that earlier, 200 years earlier, that the star of Jacob will be called a shoot. Jesus is called the descendant of David, indicating that he is the promised king that is going to make David's dynasty last forever and have a kingdom and a throne forever. And Jesus, of course, is using this language to describe himself. 
But is it a clear reference to Numbers 24-17? I don't think it's clear, but I think it's pretty likely. I think it is a pretty good guess based on the pointing of this particular evidence. What's fascinating to me is the fact that Jesus is able to acknowledge this authority for himself and also to share it with conquering believers. So what have we seen about the scepter and the star? Well, we see that it is a descendant of Israel, a descendant of Jacob. The person is a human being. He's a member of the human race. He's not an angel that looks like a human. He's certainly not Yahweh, the God of Israel, looking like a human. He's a descendant of Israel. He is a king. He's a ruler. He has a ruler's staff. And it seems that, likely, Jesus used this to describe himself, and he's willing to share that authority with others, with conquering believers, because Jesus himself has received that authority from his Father. So there you have it. That is our messianic interpretation of the scepter and the star, looking at it from a Christian perspective, from an early Jewish perspective, and of course from its initial origins within the Hebrew Bible. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Join us next week as we look at the messianic interpretations of the prophet like Moses found in Deuteronomy chapter 18. You're not going to want to miss this episode. Please look forward to our next episode. If you enjoy our podcast, please consider supporting us as we aim to promote the sound truths about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. You can support us for absolutely free by subscribing on YouTube and iTunes, by giving us an honest review on iTunes, and by sharing your favorite episodes with your friends. If you'd like to donate to the podcast to help keep it on the air, you can check out our episode description for a link to PayPal. The Biblical Unitarian Podcast is produced and edited by Dustin Williams. I am Dustin Smith. Until next time, please take care.